TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. During this time of partisan gridlock, there actually does seem to be one thing both political camps can agree on. Big tech needs to make some changes. We must finally hold social media companies accountable for experimenting or doing running children for profit. That's President Biden during this past week's State of the Union address, calling for wide-ranging reforms to address a litany of complaints against major tech companies. It's time to pass bipartisan legislation to stop big tech from collecting personal data on our kids and teenagers online. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're going to run through some of the proposals that are on the table at this point and consider what regulating big tech might actually look like. As we'll hear, when it comes to online reform, things get complicated very quickly. So joining us now to give us a hand and sort it all out, uh, very happy to welcome on. First up, David Green, the Civil Liberties Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's an SF-based group advocating for online rights. David Green, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And also joining us, Eric Goldman. He's a law professor at Santa Clara University who co-directs the school's High Tech Law Institute. Eric Goldman, welcome to you as well. Yeah, thank you. So this, of course, is not the first time that the tech sector has come under pressure from Washington. Um, I think what's really striking about the president's remarks on big tech uh, during the State of the Union speech, though, is the fact that he got a standing ovation from both Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, It's one of the few moments when that happened during the speech. So it does seem like there is a growing desire to regulate big tech, uh, a bipartisan push in a lot of ways. Uh, We heard there from Biden a desire to add extra safeguards for children. Uh, He also discussed setting stricter limits on online data collection. And he talked about uh, antitrust measures that would uh, even the online playing field between corporations. Uh, And yet, it is still a bit of a confusing moment, because while there does seem to be a lot of concern here, 
there's been a lot of concern for years now. You know, there is nothing new about the tech lash, something we've been talking about for maybe half a decade at this point. Uh, but still, there's been very little movement at the federal level. Uh, last year, major efforts to pass new competition and privacy laws didn't make it past the finish line. So uh, lots of urgency, but little apparent movement. Um, so as I said, a bit of a confusing moment. Let's start with David Green with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. What do you make of the president's remarks and uh, what does it say about where Washington is uh, at this uh, at this moment on the reform question? Yeah, I, in in some ways, I think I was I was most pleased by what he didn't say. I I had been concerned that he was going to launch uh, initiatives that would more directly go after uh, online publishers' editorial capabilities and and complain about their content decisions. Uh, and so I was I was generally pleased that his focus was more on data privacy and competition than on direct regulation of of how we handle content. He didn't completely stay away from it, but I, I was. I was pleased that that wasn't that wasn't the focus of what he was saying. I, I I do think, in terms of your point, that this seemed to be a bipartisan thing. I I think it's the idea that we all that people are mad at tech is bipartisan. The reasons they're mad at tech are quite different from each other, um, and I think that's one of been one of the obstacles to to regulation in this area. But I also think one of the, the two bigger obstacles to regulation, I think, are one is that it's it's really, really difficult to regulate in this area, even if there weren't legal barriers to regulation. And, and because we are dealing with essentially dealing with speech, there are there are very significant constitutional barriers as well. So this is this is not an easy area to regulate, even if everyone really did agree on exactly what they wanted to do about it. Yeah. So uh, as we're already hinting at, there are a lot of complexities in uh, this conversation, not an obvious uh, path forward. Uh, Eric Goldman, curious for your thoughts on um, what we heard there from the president. I mean, he also wrote an op-ed last month in the Wall Street Journal, which laid out, I think, in a little bit more detail what sorts of proposals uh, he is favoring. Um, where, where do you think that this might all go? Yeah, I think that there's an interesting duality about the internet. On the one hand, it's such a cherished and treasured part of our existence nowadays. We take it for granted because it solves so many problems that we don't even think about how important it is to us. And at the same time, there's this um, uh, you know, universal appreciation for anyone who beats up on big tech, that that's the orthodoxy of today. Anything that can be done to, uh, to uh, attack big tech, by definition, ought to be good. Um, and every time that I hear my politicians, people who are working on our tax dollars say that, I feel like they're not hearing the other part of the equation, just how important the internet is to us, how important it is that we continue to be able to enjoy the benefits it provides, and the fact that they need to help us preserve it and grow it as opposed to taking it away or restricting its functionality. So when I heard uh, Biden cheering efforts to rein in big tech, and I hear uh, bipartisan applause for that. What I'm hearing is I don't think that they understand exactly what we really want, which is to make sure that we continue to enjoy the Internet the way we do today. All right. So already some uh, good points taking shape in this conversation. We're going to spend the rest of the program walking through these various reform proposals one by one, uh, talking about uh, one area of reform at a time, just to make this all a little bit uh, more comprehensible, uh, starting with a major theme of the president's online reform agenda, 
protections for children. Um, we're going to talk more about why there's growing concern about the harms young people might face on the Internet. Uh, and we're going to talk about that with Jim Steyer, CEO of Common Sense Media. It's a San Francisco-based children's advocacy group. Jim Steyer is also a First Amendment law professor at Stanford, so uh, very eager to hear what he has to say. Uh, Jim Steyer, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Keith. So when it comes to making kids safer on the Internet, um, there's really a, a range of proposals that are on the table at this point. Um, on the one hand, we have measures like uh, uh, banning the practice of targeting ads to children. Um, and then more, more recently, we've even heard calls to ban those under 16 from using social media entirely. So just an outright ban for certain age groups. Uh, taking a step back from the proposals themselves, though, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it is that we're responding to here. You know, uh, why are you worried about how the Internet is impacting young people? At the end of the day, we now have a 24-7 digital media environment that our kids are growing up in. That's why I started Common Sense Media 20 years ago. And today they experience life on social media platforms, on the Internet, and really in front of a screen so much of their time. And this is really now children as young as two and three, but all the way up through their teenage years. And the impact of technology and media and the internet on kids' lives is just extraordinary. And we see that here at Common Sense Media every day. And there are a number of protections that all kids need in order for that to be a positive experience. One of them is protection of their privacy. And we have been very successful at Common Sense over the past five years or so in developing new laws, particularly here in California, that protect the privacy rights of kids and teens and actually all consumers. For example, we sponsored the California Consumer Privacy Act in 2018 that passed the legislature signed by Jerry Brown and is now the law of the land, not just for Californians, but across the United States. Another area that we've been very involved in has been the impact of social media, platforms like YouTube and TikTok and Instagram on the social, emotional, and cognitive well-being of youngsters. And so last year, for example, in California, we sponsored, and the legislature passed, and Governor Newsom signed, an age-appropriate design code, which actually, for the first time in the United States, made companies, big tech companies in particular, responsible for the design impacts of their products. For example, addicting kids to their platforms um, or affecting their mental and social and emotional health. So what we have is this extraordinary new technology, which used wisely can improve all of our lives and quite frankly, can improve the lives of our children. But if used improperly, it can have very negative effects on their lifestyles, on their social emotional well-being. And that's why common sense media exists. Yeah. So. Uh, definitely some stark findings that have been coming to light with regards to the impact of social media on young people over the past uh, few years, garnering uh, a lot of alarm, as you've been discussing right there. Now, you've heard the president's comments from this past week during his State of the Union address. What are you hoping they might lead to in terms of uh, future action? We are very pleased to see President Biden's State of the Union address and how he treated issues related to technology and social media. In fact, the person who was the primary author of the State of the Union address, Bruce Reed, the deputy chief of staff, worked as my closest colleague at Common Sense Media for three years before he joined the Biden administration. And we were delighted to see President Biden talking about the important privacy rights 
of children, not targeting them with ads that violate their personal private information, talking about how social media platforms like TikTok and YouTube can affect the mental health of young people, and basically holding big tech responsible for all the impacts they have on young people's lives. So it was a very impressive uh, State of the Union uh, speech in regards to technology. We were proud to be part of the planning of that. And now the proof will be in the pudding in making sure that technology companies are held responsible for their impact on young people. And what are the key measures that you think the federal government uh, could take? Um, Largely, are we talking about restricting the uh, ads, the ad targeting uh, for children, uh, other measures? What do you think are the most important things that should be on the agenda? It's very important to understand that the federal government is not the only key player on these issues. In fact, California as a state leads the nation in all of the regulations of media and technology. And that's a credit to this state and the fact that we have a functioning legislature, unlike Washington, D.C. and Congress. So it's not just federal government regulations. It's also the laws we pass here in California and, quite frankly, laws that are passed in Europe and the U.K. that also rein in big tech companies. So, for example, the privacy rights of all consumers, of everyone in our listening audience, but particularly of young people, are critical. We strengthened them with the CCPA in 2018, and there's additional privacy protections that occur should occur both here in California and at the federal level. Second, social media platforms have this unbelievable impact on young people today, particularly platforms like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera. And to date, they have not been held liable for the negative impacts they have on kids' social and emotional well-being. We have legislation in California, a social media liability bill being carried by Senator Nancy Skinner from Berkeley that will be a landmark piece of legislation here in the United States and globally to hold social media platforms accountable for the impact they have on young people. So that's another area that's very important. Our audience may also be aware of the fact that the Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, who's a terrific Surgeon General, came out about a week ago and said that he thinks that 13 years old is too young for many children to be on social media platforms. We actually think the Surgeon General is right about that, depending on the individual kid, but we don't believe there should be a ban on social media until kids are 16 years old. We think this is a case-by-case decision for parents, but we do agree with the focus that the Surgeon General has placed on how much social media can impact kids' lives, their identities, their sexual behavior, their sense of self-esteem, their depression, their anxiety. This is a hugely important issue. And we actually have a youth mental health crisis here in California and across the United States right now. So we believe that the Surgeon General speaking out about the huge impact that social media and technology have on the mental health and well-being of young people is a critical step forward. And we expect at Common Sense Media to run a campaign here in California and around the country to improve the mental health of young people and to focus on the great amount of anxiety and depression and even suicides that we've seen increase during the pandemic and just over the past decade or so of the growth of social media in our kids' lives. All right. So that hopefully gives some sense of the possibilities that are on the table at this moment uh, for uh, providing some uh, safeguards for young people online. Uh, Eric Goldman, again, law professor at Santa Clara University. I know that this is a topic that uh, you've been thinking about uh, as well. What do you make of those proposals and uh, what could be coming out of the White House? 
Yeah, certainly. Um, if we were state the proposition as whether or not we support keeping our children safe, everyone, I think, would be on board with that. Um, but that's kind of not the right question to ask. And when we ask the question that way, it's a leading question that, that uh, tries to presume the answer. The question is, what do we need to do to help our kids grow and actualize themselves to achieve their goals in life um, and to achieve pro-social outcomes? And in order to understand the answer to that question, we have to ask, how is the internet benefiting children? Not only how is it potentially harming them? And I find that that particular piece of the equation gets glossed over all too often, that we don't talk about the ways that actually the internet is not only an important pro-social part of their development, but that how actually they need to build the skills to be able to use and enjoy the internet in order to become well-functioning members of our society in the future. Uh, so I think that in order for us to talk about how to benefit kids online, we have to talk about the full equation. Well, it's an interesting point, and I want to put it back to you, uh, Jim Steyer. You know, uh, one of the points that we've been hearing from uh, some advocates is that for a lot of kids, especially those in marginalized groups, the Internet can be uh, a, a source of escape or a source of some kind of support. They can find their communities. They can find uh, folks that are in a position to give them support with whatever they're going through. And if you cut off that uh, avenue for support, uh, a lot of kids will be uh, left out. So, so what do you make of that? Uh, that call to keep the the good with the bad uh, when it comes to the internet. I completely agree with that, Keith, and and with what uh, Professor Goldman said. And you know, I run the biggest kids media organization in the United States, and we are have 150 million users, and we are frequently focusing most of our time on how we can use the internet and digital media platforms to improve kids' lives and their educational lives. So I absolutely agree that we can, we have to look at the technology platforms and the digital media world for all the benefits they provide to young people. I also agree with Eric that oftentimes with marginalized kids, they get access to resources and experiences via the internet and sometimes on social media that are really crucial to their positive development. So I think common sense takes a very balanced common sense approach to it, if you will. And I think that we have to accentuate the positives and put more resources into those while we also have to safeguard the downside. So I think Eric's right about that, but I think we take a common sense, holistic approach to the internet and technology in general. Very quickly, uh, we only have about a minute left to, uh, on this topic, uh, so much more to get to, but I want to talk about the issue of age verification. Um, Eric Goldman, uh, what kind of issues does that rise uh, bring up if we need to verify the ages of more users online? It's not a hypothetical. California is requiring that uh, uh, websites of, um, uh, of all types uh, uh, engage in aid uh, assurance of their users. Um, and it's going to dramatically change the internet in ways that I think people are going to be really annoyed and upset about. It's going to require adults to provide very personal information to services that they don't even know yet whether or not they trust. And as a result, they're going to choose to engage with those services less because they're now forced with, do I protect my own privacy or do I have to jump through these hoops to figure out if I even want to um, deal with these folks? This also puts children at risk because they have to do the exact same thing, but they don't have the tools to figure out when they're actually uh, should be trusting a particular service at all. That's something we need to teach them, but the service is going to be forced to uh, force them to make a choice without having the tools to be able to make those decisions for themselves. So age verification is actually going to be a big neutron bomb dropped on the internet mm. that's going to change the internet in structural ways. 
Oh, wow. Strong, uh, a strong take there. Uh, Jim Steyer, your response? Sure. I think, uh, again, as the folks who wrote the uh, privacy law for the state of California and the nation, we agree with Eric that you have to balance the privacy rights of both kids and adults when you look at age verification. But it's clear that age verification is going to be part of the future. Actually, blockchain technology may be part of the solution there. But Eric's right. We have to balance privacy rights, which common sense, again, writes the legislation for the United States on with the the idea that we want to be able to pre present age appropriate content to young people. So finding that right balance, but preserving the critically important privacy rights of kids, teens and adults is going to be critical. But I think we'll actually get there. All right. Well, a lot of really interesting points there. And uh, we thank you uh, for all of them. Uh, we have been speaking with Jim Steyer, once again, the CEO of the SF based Common Sense Media. I know you got to run, but thank you very much for joining us so far. Thank you so much. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. All right. I'm going to remind our listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, we are talking about possible avenues for reform on the Internet. Uh, the president of these United States uh, included quite a few remarks on that topic during his State of the Union speech this past Tuesday. We're talking about what those proposals could look like in practice. Uh, I've been talking mostly so far about safeguards for children on the internet. We're going to get into some other topics now in the minutes that we have left, uh, talking next about privacy and limits on data collection. Um, in that Wall Street Journal op-ed piece that we uh, referenced a little bit earlier, penned by President Biden, uh, he called for, quote, clear limits on how companies can collect, use, and share highly personal data. Uh, in particular, he talked about cracking down on targeted advertising. Uh, and this is an area where we have seen quite a bit of legislative activity, uh, some of that led by Bay Area lawmakers like Representative Zoe Lofgren and Anna Eshoo, uh, but still seems like there are some barriers to getting this passed. Um, I guess I'll, we'll we'll start with David Green on this one again with the civil. Uh, he's the civil liberties director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Given how pervasive uh, data collection is on the internet at, at this point, uh, given how central it is to how the modern internet functions, what could be done uh, to put some more controls over uh, data collection at this point? Well, there could be comprehensive uh, data privacy uh, regulation. 
And um, and that would not be that would apply across the board. That wouldn't be limited to certain users, such as children. Uh, that that is something that could happen, uh, and something EFF would support if we if it was a good bill. We we've seen proposals in the past that we actually haven't that we haven't supported because they haven't been very good. But I do think it's an opportunity. What I hope the president is calling for is actually robust and well considered data, data privacy regulation. What would that look like? Well, it, it can take a lot of forms. I think uh, we we outlined three top priorities uh, when we look at, at uh, sort of a federal scheme for data protection would be, uh, first of all, avoiding federal preemption so that states uh, were still free to uh, sort of experiment and, ha- and do have their own data protection schemes, um, ensuring that consumers had a private right of action to enforce these laws. Um, and then also ensuring that there was non-discrimination such that uh, those who would um, who, who did not opt in to their data being protected uh, weren't discriminated in terms of the way uh, in terms of the way they were uh, they were served. So those are some of the things that that we looked for um, in in a comprehensive data protection scheme. All right. And uh, we're also speaking today, of course, with Eric Goldman, once again, a law professor at Santa Clara University. Uh, Eric Goldman, I know that uh, we've been speaking offline. You take a a rather skeptical view of the proposals that have been put out there at this point. Um, What do you make uh, when it comes to uh, data privacy and uh, protection? What do you make of the proposals from the president and just the prospect in general of more uh, data protections? Uh, So I definitely think that at this point we do need a federal comprehensive data privacy law, one that sets a a federal standard that everyone understands and can agree with. And for that reason, I do disagree with my uh, colleague David about the the need uh, for federal preemption of state laws. It's actually state laws where the craziest and I think potentially most pernicious ideas are coming from. And we ought to be able to allow businesses to understand what the rules are for the nation and comply with them as a as a single uniform standard rather than trying to um, uh, build solutions for each state that reflect all these really weird developments that are taking place. Um, you, you, you talk about crazy laws. What, are, what What's going on right now at the state level that is alarming you? Well, uh, here in California, we're actually leading the way on some of the craziest laws. Uh, we voted uh, um, as a, a voter population uh, to enact the California uh, Consumer uh, Privacy Rights Act, um, which is just one of the most impenetrable, indecipherable uh, laws that imposes a significant cost on our society. And no one's really clear about how it benefits us. Um, the, the law creates these uh, theoretical pri- consumer privacy rights but we don't have any evidence that anyone's actually benefited from those rights. We're just paying for them. And so the whole idea of having California manufacturing this really um, unusual and not very effective law um, and then um, uh, iterating it with things like the age verification requirement we talked about earlier in the segment. Um, these are really, I think, pernicious ideas. We really ought to be able to, to have a single federal standard. Hmm. All right. Well, we are going to have to pick up the pace just a little bit here. There are two more topics I want to get to before we round things out. First up, well, there is broad concern that the major tech players have so much power in the market, really the entire online world at this point, that they can essentially block any competitors from getting a foothold. So competition was another major topic that Biden hit on this past Tuesday. Uh, He called on Congress to, quote, pass bipartisan legislation to strengthen antitrust enforcement and prevent big online platforms from giving their own products an unfair advantage. 
So, uh, David Green, flesh this out for us, if you could. What is the president referring to there, and what could be done to address it? Well, I, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to. It In some ways, I, I appreciate the sentiment, and, um, and then I'm concerned about the implementation. I, I think there are actually there are two separate parts to it. One is the antitrust enforcement. Uh, we're absolutely in favor of robust antitrust enforcement, uh, not just for the tech sector, but but generally. Um, I, I think the, I, but I am concerned about the First Amendment implications of the of the other part of the proposal in terms of the uh, a, a ban on preferencing one's own products. Uh, in many applications, for example, a search engine, uh, I believe that would run afoul the First Amendment's right of, of editorial discretion. Uh, and what, whether, you know, to interfere with how, you know, how Google, for example, or any other search engine, how it would decide uh, what what search responses to return. And I, I don't think that would be proper. So I do think that the, the proposal President Biden say it was very generally stated. And of course, the you know, the devil will be in the details. And it's there's gonna be lots of uh, lots of complications and nuance. And I think lots of difficult questions no matter which way it goes. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right. Well, uh, as I said, one more topic that I want to hit before we round things out, and uh, this is going to have to be the closing thought that we're going to give to Eric Goldman. Uh, we also heard from the president a call for the country to rethink how it sets the rules of the road when it comes to online content moderation. Uh, returning once again to that Wall Street Journal piece, the president wrote that major tech companies need to, quote, take responsibility for the content they spread and the algorithms they use. Uh, to get into some more specifics, um, he and many others are calling for major reform of uh, a law that gives online platforms special protections from lawsuits for the user-generated content that they host. Uh, that's known as Section 230 protections. So this is uh, perhaps the most highly politically charged issue that we're going to talk about today. Both parties see major problems with how the major platforms are dealing with content moderation, uh, but they see very different problems. Uh, on the one hand, Democrats are worried about misinformation, hate speech and harassment, want more controls there. Whereas Republicans are accusing social media sites of unfairly favoring liberal voices and suppressing conservative voices. Uh, so for them, it's, it's largely a concern over bias and censorship. And we actually heard a lot of those concerns aired out in Congress this past week. Uh, Eric Goldman, uh, very different calls for change. What should we expect to happen here? Um, it's a super complicated conversation because everyone thinks that there's a, a better answer out there. And most people are not prepared to accept the, that we might be as uh, at as good a place as we're ever going to get. And any change is only going to make things worse. At the end, content moderation is about deciding what uh, content is fit to publish to an audience. And publication decisions by their nature make winners and losers. Some content gets prioritized. Other content doesn't get highlighted. And those decisions have now become partisanized. Everyone's trying to work the refs in order to get a better outcome for their team. And in do so doing, it shows that we're never going to make everyone happy. There is no one-size-fits-all way of changing content moderation to improve the outcomes for everyone else. Um, and that means that it's only a zero-sum game that we're fighting, which means that we're locked in this, this partisan gridlock. Um, Section 230, the law you're referencing, says that websites aren't liable for third-party content. They have the freedom to moderate as they see fit. And that might be the best outcome because it bypasses 
passes this partisan battle over I want my team to win and the other team to lose. It lets the services decide for themselves what they think best fits their audience. All right. Well, really interesting to hear you both uh, talk about these reform issues. You know, we all (laughs) spend so much time on the Internet, but when you look beneath the hood and get into the nitty gritty details, any any attempt at change we see ends up having so many difficulties kind of embedded within them. So uh, thanks to both of you for helping us think those through just a little bit. One last time, we have been speaking with David Green. He is the Civil Liberties Director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. David Green, thanks so much. And thank you for having me. I enjoyed our discussion. And also joining us, Eric Goldman, law professor at Santa Clara University, who co-directs the university's high-tech law institute. Eric Goldman, thanks to you as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. T Mobile.com.